0: All right, everybody, we have made it to Friday. It is Friday, February 17th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mosh Wanunu.
1: And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts.
0: And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, I know Thursday was a big travel day for you. How did it go?
1: Well, I'm currently just sipping a margarita poolside, (laughs) Mosh. Actually, it was it was great. I went to the new LaGuardia terminal and it was the first time I've been there since they redid it. It's awesome. It's it's like not a third world country anymore.
0: Yeah, that's how it was described, actually, by former Vice President Joe Biden before he became president. He was like, this is a third world country. LaGuardia, the third airport uh, in the New York area beyond uh, Newark and JFK. And was really in disrepair for decades. And they spent, I think, 10 billion plus, Jill, to build those new terminals, but it actually feels and looks like a modern airport, finally.
1: I can honestly say it was a pleasure. <laughs> and I've never <laughs> said that about LaGuardia before. But let's get to the headlines here. Lots to cover on this Friday. Joe Biden finally addresses the three mystery objects shot down last weekend. And one of them may belong to a group called the Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade, we'll explain. <laughs> some new details out of Michigan on the MSU shooter and why he was able to buy a gun even after having previous gun crimes. A grand jury says at least one person is lying in the Trump Georgia election case. A judge is threatening to put Sam Bankman fried back in jail for witness tampering. A couple of medical updates on both Joe Biden and Bruce Willis. An inspirational story about the first all-women team to perform a heart transplant. Mosh will have on this day.
0: Your clue—that's hot.
1: <laughs> I think. I think I know. <laughs> um, and we're going to have what we are watching, reading, and eating this weekend. Okay, for the first time Thursday, President Biden spoke at length about those three aerial objects that were shot down last weekend. Intelligence officials are still assessing those three unknown objects. But he said nothing right now suggests that they're related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from any other country. In fact, all three objects shot down over Alaska, Canada and Lake Huron. May have been harmless. Joe Biden telling the media they were most likely balloons tied to private companies, recreation or research institutions studying weather or conducting other scientific research. One of the items downed, the one shot last Saturday over Canada's Yukon Territory, may have been a three-foot balloon launched last October by hobbyists from Illinois who are part of a group called the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. While the hobbyists themselves are not affirmatively claiming that this is the case, in a blog post, the group said its small balloon is missing in action as of Tuesday. Biden, meanwhile, defended the move to shoot them down because they were at the height of commercial aircraft and they couldn't rule out at the time that it wasn't a foreign intelligence object.
0: Joe, this is all in the aftermath of the Chinese spy balloon downing the previous weekend. And so then last weekend, you know, we're watching every day as we're shooting something down here and shooting something down there. And the way that Biden and the White House now explain it is that we recalibrated our radar to pick these things up. So it's not that there are more things or more things were being flown, just that we weren't noticing them before. And so now that uh, we're kind of post-Chinese spy balloon, we're noticing everything And this may have been an overreaction. In the words of the Washington Post uh, in their latest story, this was a, quote, jittery U.S. government on high alert following the Chinese espionage balloon using sophisticated military weaponry to shoot down routine objects, including that of the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade, uh, we believe. That said, they're still not completely sure here, but that is what they're saying publicly. They're still looking for that debris up there in northern Alaska, northern Yukon Territory, and Lake Huron, which is really, really deep. Uh, So they may have a difficult time, if ever, finding the pieces of what they shot down. Given this whole mess from last weekend, Biden said on Thursday he's directed his team to come back at him with new rules on how to address these objects going forward because we can't just be shooting everything down. And what's interesting here is we knew the Chinese balloon was bad, that it was an Intel balloon, and we let it float for a week plus before we took it down off of South Carolina. But then we have the subsequent three, which we didn't know much about, but we shot them right away. And so what Biden wants is rules of the road Because keep in mind that just those three shootdowns last weekend cost upwards of three million dollars going to the U.S. Air Force. And in the case of the Lake Huron object, it actually took us two tries to take that one down.
1: And, Moshe, let's stay with Biden for a second because he got his annual physical yesterday. President Biden remains, quote, a healthy, vigorous 80-year-old man who is fit to successfully execute duties of the presidency. His physician wrote in a memo. It was just hours after the president underwent that routine annual physical at Walter Reed Medical Center. Kevin O'Connor, who's been Biden's primary care doctor for 14 years, wrote that the most notable update from Biden's last physical in November of 2021 was his COVID-19 infection over the summer, but said the president hasn't experienced any lingering symptoms that could be characterized as long COVID.
0: So, Jill, we get these annual physicals for every president, but it's a much bigger deal in the case of Biden. He is the oldest president in American history. He's currently 80. In November, he'll be 81. And he is considering running for re-election, of course. And he has told his advisors and told everyone around him that the key consideration for him will be his health and his age? Will he be able to make it through? And so far, he's energized here. We should note one other thing in that medical report. Uh, O'Connor said that they did remove one small lesion from his chest as they did a routine skin cancer surveillance. Biden has had moles removed in the past. Uh, They have sent off that uh, lesion for a traditional biopsy and results there are pending.
1: Switching gears, following up on the shooting at Michigan State University, authorities are starting to learn more about what motivated the killer and how he got his weapons. The man who shot eight students at Michigan State University, killing three, was found with two handguns and a note containing a possible motive for the attack, police said on Thursday. The nine millimeter guns, dozens of rounds of ammunition, and the two page note were found with Anthony McRae when he killed himself Monday night after being confronted by police. Investigators said they still were trying to pin down a motive three days after the violence at the 50,000 student campus in East Lansing but the note was definitely a key point. At a news conference Thursday, police said that it appears based on the content of the note that he felt he was slighted in some way by people or businesses.
0: Yeah, the details here still remain elusive. His father has said that he was undergoing issues. Uh, his mother had just passed away and he was living with the father. Neighbors say that uh, McRae, uh kept to himself, but then would engage in bizarre things like shooting out in the backyard to try to quiet pets. It does come as we're learning more about why he was able to legally own uh, what appears to be two guns here, because he was charged back in June 2019 with illegally carrying a concealed handgun without a permit. But the Detroit News is reporting that he later had those charges dismissed by the office of the county prosecutor. Her name was Carol Simon. Her office instead let McRae, at the time in 2019, Plead guilty to a lesser misdemeanor gun charge instead of the felony charge, which would have put him in prison for five years. So they ended up lowering it to a misdemeanor. He served a little more than a year on probation. If they had kept that felony charge, he still wouldn't have been able to own a gun today. But he was legally able to own one because they went down to misdemeanor charge. Simon, uh, we should say by the way, retired from the prosecutor's office at the start of this year after facing criticism from judges and law enforcement officials for what some say is a soft-on-crime approach. She actually made it her office's official policy to drop mandatory prison sentences for felony firearms crimes. She claimed that the sentencing enhancements, these mandatory sentences, were leading to racial inequities. And so that ultimately is the background of all of this. Incidentally, they've reached out to her after this mass shooting. She wouldn't comment on it directly, but she did defend her practice did defend that policy. We should note that her successor, a guy named John Duane, has already talked about toughening up charges for repeat offenders, saying with policies he wants to pursue, McRae would not have been able to legally purchase, own or possess a firearm. So I know we talked about this earlier in the week, uh, you know, toughening up laws, etc. In this case, at least in this specific case, it does appear that the laws on hand would have prevented him from getting a gun. They just weren't enforced.
1: I could only imagine uh, being a victim's family member (laughs) and hearing that right now. Uh, Back to the note that he had left, I I just wanted to quickly mention that in that two page note, he did list some other places that he was targeting, including a warehouse, an employment agency, a discount store, a church, and a fast food restaurant. Uh, With investigators said he did have connections to a couple of those places. Again, it's not really clear why he decided to target MSU. Yeah. And of course, on campus, students just trying to make sense of all of this, trying to heal. Tom Izzo, the Michigan State men's basketball coach, he is really a legend on campus. He, he was a legend back when I was working in East Lansing and lansing 15 years ago, um, and he still is. He delivered a really, really powerful address at a candlelight vigil. He said, Our hearts are heavy. Our loss has been great. Our lives have been permanently changed with a shared commitment to help each other and a promise to remember those that we have lost. We will find joy again. And he talked about how his son was actually on campus Monday night uh, in one of the buildings uh, about 10 minutes after the shootings happened. And he said it just made him understand it uh, a little bit better. Also want to mention about 100 students actually protested in the state capitol in Lansing, Michigan, to demand that lawmakers do something about gun violence.
0: It'll be interesting to see how this debate goes down, given what we're learning about how the laws weren't enforced here and uh, what they may end up doing there is talk by the way uh, with this whole felony misdemeanor thing about boosting the law to ensure that if you've committed a misdemeanor gun crime that you also are prevented from owning a gun in the future okay let's take a quick break here before we get to the speed read i want to talk about one of our sponsors this week harry's it's a brand i've been using for years for a great shave my wife actually found their aftershave a couple years ago i tried it out and i've been a loyal customer ever since and that's why i'm so excited they're joining us as a partner here, offering a special deal for all Mo News listeners, they are offering what's called their Truman Shave Trial Set. It includes their shaving gel as well as a razor. It's a fifteen dollar value that, for a limited time, with the code Mo News, you can get for just three dollars. Fifteen dollars for three dollars over at Harrys.com/slash Mo News. It includes the five blade razor. It has a nice weighted hand, foaming shave gel, a travel cover uh, for your razor. It also allows you to schedule replacement blade deliveries whenever you need them with refills for as low as $2. I'm genuinely a fan of these guys at Harry's. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Again, it's the $15 Truman Shave trial set for just $3 right now. Harry's.com slash monews. Again, harrys.com, dot com slash monews for the $3 set.
1: All right, now to our next sponsor, Athletic Greens. I have been taking their AG1 supplement every morning. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It's easy, it's quick, and it lets you get on with your day. Knowing that you've gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals, it also has pre- and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Just visit athleticgreens.com monews to take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or you could try it one time for just a month. Again, head to athleticgreens.com slash monews. That's M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. Okay, time now for the speed read from The Washington Post and Atlanta area special grand jury investigating efforts by President Trump and his allies to overturn his 2020 election loss in Georgia concluded that some witnesses may have lied under oath during their testimony and recommended that charges be filed. But we still don't know who those witnesses were not identified in the five page excerpt of the grand jury report made public on Thursday. The unsealed document offered no major clues about the grand jury's other findings, but the panel did unanimously agree that Georgia's 2020 presidential vote did not experience widespread fraud. And that is contrary to what Trump and many of his allies have claimed. The rest of the panel's findings remained private, according to a superior court judge, including what has been described as a roster of who should or should not be indicted and for what in relation to the conduct and aftermath of the 2020 general election in Georgia.
0: Yeah, the judge said that releasing the full report at this time would violate due process of potential future defendants. He doesn't want to mess with a potential jury pool down the road. Remember, this case partially revolves around that uh, infamous Trump phone call to a state official, the secretary of state, Brad Raffensperger, a Republican, back in January of 2021, asking him effectively to find the votes to overturn the results in order for Trump to win Georgia so he would get the electors from Georgia. That state official, Rafensberger refused, and subsequently the state began this investigation for possible illegal election interference here. So these grand jury recommendations, some of which we know about, most of which we don't know about, are now in the hands of the Fulton County District Attorney. Her name is Fannie Willis. Her office has already informed nearly 20 people that they could face charges. That includes former President Trump. That includes uh, his former attorney, Rudy Giuliani. And we're going to find out what this special grand jury recommends Uh, and then how the DA here proceeds. It's not clear how quickly we're going to learn this. In a January hearing, she said that whether she seeks indictments would be imminent following this report, but she didn't exactly specify what imminent means uh, for their part. Former President Trump's team is responding, saying he did absolutely nothing wrong. He has called that phone call to reference Berger, a perfect call. He doesn't understand why anybody thought there was anything wrong with it. And so uh, we shall see what happens here. We should note we're following multiple cases in regards to the former president. And this Georgia case, This is one that has been most closely watched, including by people in the Trump orbit. They're most worried about this one.
1: From the Associated Press, Pennsylvania Democratic Senator John Fetterman has checked himself into Walter Reed Hospital to seek treatment for clinical depression, his office said on Thursday. Fetterman has struggled with the after effects of a stroke that he suffered last May. He checked himself in on Wednesday night. His chief of staff saying in a statement that while John has experienced depression off and on throughout his life, it only became severe in recent weeks.
0: Fetterman, who is 53 years old, by the way, is in his first weeks as a U.S. senator after winning that Pennsylvania election against Dr. Oz, if you recall that back and forth. And he won despite recovering from the stroke, which people close to him say nearly killed him. His wife saying in a statement, Uh, yesterday that she's very proud that he's checked himself in for depression and that he's getting the help and the care that he needs. Senators from both parties, Democrats and Republicans, were supportive after Federman's office announced the news, applauding him for getting help, acknowledging that he needed it, and hoping that he's able to get better and return to the Senate soon.
1: Staying with some medical news here from Variety, the family of Bruce Willis has announced that the actor is suffering from a form of dementia, Called frontotemporal dementia, or FTD for short. Willis, by the way, is 67 years old. In a statement shared Thursday, his family said that while the news is painful, it's a relief to finally have a clear diagnosis. FTD is a cruel disease that many of us have never heard of and can strike anyone. Last March, Willis's family said that his aphasia had affected his cognitive abilities. The condition causes loss of the ability to understand or express speech.
0: Yeah, so we knew about the aphasia, and apparently that's a symptom of FTD, but now they understand that he does have that frontotemporal dementia. His family is saying that communication challenges is just one of the symptoms he's currently experiencing. FTD officially is a brain disorder caused by the degeneration of the frontal or temporal lobes of the brain. It affects behavior, language movement. Unfortunately, the way it's described is that it's a gradual decline here and the average life expectancy is somewhere between seven to 13 years after the onset of symptoms. I was getting notes, Jill, on Instagram from people whose family members have suffered from FTD and they just talk about how devastating, how cruel it is that sometimes those suffering from it are violent with their caregivers and it's just heartbreaking. I want to read more from the statement. Uh, Bruce, by the way, has five daughters. Uh, This is from the post, his daughter, Rumor Willis, uh, posted, quote, Bruce has always found joy in life and has helped everyone he knows to do the same. It has meant the world to see that sense of care echoed back to him and to all of us. We've been so moved by the love you have all shared for our dear husband, father, and friend during this difficult time, your continued compassion, understanding, and respect will enable us to help Bruce live as full a life as possible.
1: All right, this from Politico. The Supreme Court on Thursday canceled arguments in a challenge to ending a pandemic-era immigration measure, a step that suggested it may dismiss the case based on the Biden administration's announcement that the health emergency would end in May. The justices had been scheduled to hear arguments over the measure, known as Title 42, on March 1st. A terse entry on the court's docket Thursday announced that the case had been removed from the calendar and gave no further explanation. The development followed a brief filed last week by the Solicitor General, a lawyer for the administration, saying the case would soon be moot. The court's action on Thursday indicated that it was inclined to agree and that it would dismiss the case and lift a stay that had kept Title 42 in place for now. If you remember, Title 42 had allowed even migrants who might otherwise qualify for asylum to be swiftly expelled at the southern border. The policy was introduced as a health measure during the pandemic in March of 2020 and extended by Trump and Biden. It has been used to expel migrants, including many asylum seekers, about 2.5 million times.
0: Yeah, the White House is arguing that with the health emergency ending in May, what's the point of a Supreme Court case in March to rule on this? And it appears the Supreme Court here Agreed. But despite the fact that it was attached to the pandemic, this Title 42, Republicans and Republican attorney generals who filed this case fought to keep Title 42 in place. They feared that its demise could fuel a surge of even more illegal crossings along an already overwhelmed border. And so they sort of had this irony here where they don't really believe in the pandemic, but they want to be able to use the pandemic for Title 42. It was also a convenient thing for a while for Biden, by the way until ultimately they realized they had to pull back on it because again, the pandemic is officially over. Humanitarian organizations for the past couple of years have said the policy is preventing migrants who are fleeing from violence, persecution, from obtaining safe harbor here in the U.S., and that it has put us in conflict with international law in regards to asylum seekers. Long story short, it looks like it's going away now as the Supreme Court looks like it's not gonna be hearing the case. Lower court judges, for what it's worth, have argued that just because it's convenient uh, and the policy helps our immigration policy doesn't mean it should remain in place, especially since, again, the health emergency that preceded it is over. And so, what they're saying, what many people are arguing, is that Congress needs to actually pass a law here to deal with the surge at the border. They can't just be using a pandemic era health law to deport asylum seekers uh, because there's a lack of policy, that there does need to be a policy in place. So, we will see what Congress is able to come up with. But given Republicans are in charge of the House, Democrats in charge of the Senate, biden over at the white house color me skeptical on what they come up with here
1: From CNBC, a federal judge in New York on Thursday raised the possibility of revoking bail and remanding Sam Bankman-Fried into custody for possible witness tampering. For now, the judge is giving his attorneys and federal prosecutors more time to propose stricter conditions of his pretrial release. Bankman-Fried, the founder of the FTX Crypto Exchange, has pleaded not guilty to fraud and conspiracy charges that accused him of misappropriating billions of dollars. He has been free on a $250 million bail package federal prosecutors have sought to prevent Bankman Freed from contacting potential witnesses and restrict his use of encrypted communications and the internet. But during a hearing, the judge expressed concern that the government's proposed rules did not go far enough. What is this guy up to?
0: Jill, he's very fortunate that somehow he's gotten out on $250 million bail, but it appears there's probable cause to believe that he's engaged in witness tampering. He contacted FTX's general counsel and other people associated with the case. Apparently Bankman Fried can't sit quiet at his parents' house right now in California. That's where he's currently living on bond. And so uh we'll see what happens here. But it just kind of speaks to who this guy is. Jill, I mean, I remember seeing his interview in the fall, the multiple interviews he did as he was under investigation. And it just he sort of was clueless as to how serious this was and what he could be facing. And this potential witness tampering appears to reinforce that.
1: Mosh, it's like he just cannot help himself.
0: Jill, maybe he's serious. In the fall, he sort of had that O.J. Simpson esque line where he's like, "I'm going to find the real person who committed <laughs> the crimes here. Maybe <laughs> if that's I did it, <laughs> if I if I did it, but I didn't do it. Let me find out who really who really brought down FTX and stole all this money." All right, let's end here with a cool historic note from todayshow.com. Jill, it actually involves a woman I went to college with at GW 20 years ago, which is so cool when I'm digging for headlines and I see a familiar name. The headline on todayshow.com, meet the all-women team that is likely the first to perform a heart transplant. And so this is how the story goes. Dr. Amy Fiedler was finishing up a standard heart transplant surgery in December when she noticed something that she'd never seen before. The room was entirely full of women. Behind all the surgical masks and gear, she saw the perfusionist, that's the person who runs the heart-lung machine, the nursing staff, and even the patient were all female. Fiedler is a cardiothoracic surgeon over at UC San Francisco. She turned to Dr. Charlene Blake. She was the cardiac anesthesiologist on hand and asked if this ever happened before. In awe of the moment, Blake snapped a selfie, which has generated a huge amount of buzz after UCSF posted it on their social media accounts. It's been picked up by national outlets, including the Today Show. Blake reacted by saying, we celebrated how far we've come, but it's also like, wow, it took this long for something like this to happen.
1: Females are underrepresented in almost all professions that are involved in cardiac surgery, from surgeons to anesthesiologists to trainees, according to Fiedler. She says she is currently the only woman heart transplant surgeon at UCSF. It isn't the first milestone for women in medicine there, though. The previous chair of the Department of Surgery at the hospital, Dr. Nancy Asher, is the first woman to ever perform a liver transplant.
0: Jill, it's a really cool photo. We'll link to it in the show notes. And it's so cool because I probably haven't talked to Amy since college 20 years ago back at GW. But it's very cool to see this milestone. Very cool to see people uh, doing incredible things and long overdue history happening in the OR. All right. That now brings us to On This Day in History, which is brought to us this week by our partner, Magic Spoon Cereal. Uh, They have a variety pack that is full of fruity flavor, cocoa flavor, frosty flavor and peanut butter. Several of the flavors will remind you of some of the cereals you ate, we all ate growing up. So you can have this nostalgia today, but in a low carb way. The great thing about Magic Spoon, it's gluten free, grain free, and soy free. You can head over to magicspoon.com slash monews to grab a variety pack today. The promo code again is monews, M-O-N-E-W-S. And at checkout, it'll save you $5 off the variety pack. All right, let's begin here as we sometimes do in the 19th century. 222 years ago today in 1801, the major drama of the election of 1800 would hit its peak. This was the election between Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, but following an Electoral College tie between Thomas Jefferson and his running mate, Aaron Burr, there was basically a week of just constant voting in the House to try to break that tie. At the time, this was when we only had 11 amendments of the Constitution, the electors actually voted for VP and the president on the same ballots. And so there was a tie between Jefferson and Aaron Burr, his running mate. So it goes to the U.S. House. It takes 36 ballots over a week to break the tie. And what partially leads to Jefferson's victory is Alexander Hamilton basically says to people voting a few days in, this guy, Jefferson, is not so dangerous. And using that endorsement, Jefferson is able to uh, get more votes than Burr, who then becomes his vice president. Obviously, this only reinforces the animosity between Aaron Burr and Alexander Hamilton, they would then duel a few years later, where Vice President Burr would kill Hamilton. Needless to say, after this whole fiasco in 1801, they passed the 12th Amendment to the Constitution, which ensured that separate ballots would be cast for the President and Vice President. And if you've watched the musical Hamilton, probably none of this was news to you. Uh, Let's fast forward to the 20th century. This weekend in 1945, 78 years ago, the U.S. invaded Iwo Jima. This is where the U.S. Marines would take control of a very important island. It was a very hard uh, battle. You might be familiar with the famous picture of the Marines raising the flag at Iwo Jima. It has uh, become iconic. It it was depicted for the Marine Monument in D.C., uh, but that battle begins 78 years ago this weekend. All right, Jill, we have a few celebrity birthdays, and I want to start with uh, an icon for someone who grew up in Chicago in the 80s and 90s, the GOAT, Michael Jordan, turns 60 today. A couple other birthday mentions, Denise Richards from Wild Things, uh, formerly uh, Mrs. Charlie Sheen, 52.
1: And we have Dimension, former Real Housewife of Beverly Hills.
0: Oh, I miss I missed those seasons, Jill. <laughs> Staying in Southern California, though, Paris Hilton turns 43 today, and Ed Sheeran, 32. All right, a bit of movie history today. Turning 39 years old, you might recognize that theme song, Footloose, starring Kevin Bacon, premiered in theater on this day in 1984.
1: Moshe, is there any way to hear that song and just not get into a good mood and, and, like, get your energy up?
0: Jill, you can't hate the Footloose theme song. It's impossible. I dare, I dare all of you. Somebody, Double somebody Darryl. come back to me. And, somebody come back to me and be like, the Footloose theme really bums me out. <laughs> Speaking of other fun musical history, this is our final on this day. On this day, 22 years ago, February 17th, 2001, Ms. Jackson by Outkast reaches number one on the Billboard charts.
1: Sorry, Miss Jackson, I am for real.
0: We were sort of at the peak Outcast moment there in the early 2000s, Jill. Again, a special thank you to our On This Day sponsor this week, Magic Spoon Cereal. Remember to get your next bowl over at magicspoon.com slash monews using the code M-O-N-E-W-S to get $5 off. All right,
1: Mo. cheers to the freaking weekend. It is Friday, which means it's time for what we are watching, reading, and eating. Kick it off for us. What are you watching?
0: Jill, I keep hearing about Shrinking, uh, the Apple TV show with Jason Segel and Harrison Ford. Uh, you told me you started it. I did. Is it worth it?
1: I cannot stay up. (laughs) I'm so tired at night that my (laughs) husband and I just couldn't get through it. But it's good. I like we liked it. I I think we definitely want to finish it.
0: So what you're saying is, despite the fact that you literally snoozed, it's not a snoozer.
1: I'm saying watch it before you have kids, (laughs) basically.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Jill, what are you watching?
1: So as you mentioned, I'm on vacation and I do not have a smart TV in my room. So I'm going to be watching good old fashioned cable television. And I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of excited to channel surf.
0: Commercial breaks, baby.
1: <laughs> They're perfect for the
0: bathroom. <laughs> They're a forced break. Jill, what are you reading this weekend?
1: OK, so this is actually a letter of recommendation from The New York Times. That's what it's It's called. The title is A Secret for Falling Asleep So Good It Is a British National Treasure. Tune in to Serenity with the BBC Shipping Forecast, a weather report from deep in the analog era. I'm not entirely sure what this is, if this is like a satire or a true thing, but it totally caught my eye because I have so much trouble sleeping. So I'm going to just read this. I think um, either way, it sounds pretty interesting.
0: Jill, I'm very intrigued by that. I'm going to go check out that story. We'll put that in the um, in the show links for everybody. What about you? I want to take this opportunity uh, to say that I read this week, A Good Thing Happened Today. It's actually a children's book by a friend, Michelle Figueroa. She is the founder and creator of Good News Movement on Instagram. And it's a really beautiful kids' book. And what she did was take some of her stories that she's featured on the Good News Movement Instagram account, which, by the way, has nearly 5 million followers, uh, and basically illustrated them and told them as part of kind of a rhyming kid story that there are good people in the world and here are ways to contribute. Uh, So it's a really beautiful story. And we had the chance to speak this week. We're actually putting it out as a special podcast edition, our conversation about the book and all things good news later today. So stay tuned on the feed for that.
1: Moshe, when you're like us and when you're in the media, I think some of the criticisms that we always hear is one, it's, it's too partisan. But the other is a lot of people are just so turned off because it's all bad news. So I think this is awesome that she is doing this because people do want, there are good things going on. You know, it, it isn't all doom and gloom.
0: In fact, the majority of people are good. If you think about your day, like obviously some people have bad days, but like when you look at things big picture, a lot of good things happen. And I think what she's trying to do is, Showcase those stories that we know because we've worked in this profession. We often just throw at the end of the broadcast. We call them kickers. And by the way, if there's too much news, there is no kicker. We're going to just give you negativity for the entire show. <laughs> right. and, so, Ca- and so you she cut was the talk- kicker,
1: right? That's, it's totally you
0: cut, you, you, you cut the kicker. There's too much, too much explosions, too much death. We gotta, we gotta tell you about all of it. The good news story, we're going to tell you. Maybe we'll tell you about it next week. And so she learned that lesson from having worked in in national and local news. And she's like you know what? I'm going to just start an account on Instagram where I only do kickers. I only do good news. And the um, reaction has been incredible. And the celebrity following's incredible. And she was featured by like Prince Harry and Meghan and, and a whole bunch of accounts. And it's gotten her to 5 million followers on multiple platforms. And now this kid's book is very cool. So I think, I think everyone will enjoy that conversation when we pop it later today.
1: Okay, Mosh, what
0: are you eating? So my wife, Alex, has been on a tear. Uh, she has a recipe up on her Instagram account for the uh, gluten-free Italian saucy meatballs she made this week. Highly recommend those. And I think they've expanded. But if anyone, especially New York, is familiar with Levain Cookies, uh, she happened to be on the Upper east Side and picked up a couple. Uh, and so I uh, haven't had one of those in a while. And I realized I miss them very much, Jill. Jill, what are you going to be eating down in Florida?
1: Nana's homemade cooking. Need I say more?
0: (laughs) Sounds amazing. (laughs) So good temperatures and good food and old school cable television, Jill. Sounds like a a dream for
1: you. I'm living my best life, Moshe.
0: Well, we should actually tell folks uh, you're going to take a bit of well-deserved time off next week. We'll see you back here at some point midweek, right?
1: If you're lucky.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you just heard that, everyone. I'll be solo for at least a few days next week. We're hoping Jill uh, makes the comeback, comes up for air from the vacation at some point next week. But Jill, no, genuinely get some sleep, get some rest, get some homemade (laughs) cooking. Enjoy your vacation.
1: Thanks, Mosh. I appreciate it. uh, And it's much needed.
0: All right. See everyone next week.